Hello, everybody. This is the inaugural launch of the Geo and Joey podcast, where we talk about cultural, political, and social issues from a Protestant perspective. Joey, say hello to the audience. Hello, everybody. Joey, you and I are starting to get to know each other, and yet we found out that you and I have a lot of things in common. Share with the audience, what is your passion in doing this podcast together? Well, I just, I, I really appreciate certain voices kind of in the media podcast world talking about different issues from kind of a conservative perspective. What I think is sometimes kind of missing is that uniquely Protestant perspective, right? Because especially some things I saw recently in the news, like people questioning, like, where do our values come from politically? And I think the Protestant church really has some specific things to add to this conversation that sometimes get missed. Okay. What about for the audience who thinks, ah, oh, man, we don't want to hear some Bible thumping uh, preaching at me, even though we're coming from a Protestant perspective, how is this podcast going to be different for those listeners who are wondering if we're just going to be preaching the Bible to them? I think one of the core of Protestant political theology is that we want to be able to explain like we want to be able to live in kind of a pluralistic society, but have those values, right? I think C.S. Lewis called it the Tao, right? Things that reasonable people of whether they're atheists or Buddhists or Muslims or Christians can all come to, right? From the scriptural perspective, it's like in Romans chapter one and two, right? Which says the things that God has put on our heart, they're without excuse. And I think we all know that there are great people who, don't believe in God, but have a certain moral compass. And I think we can really speak to those people as well. Yeah. And for the audience listening, that's exactly, you know, we're not going to be here quoting Bible in verse, even though we may do so at some time. But the majority of this podcast is just, look, there are many things, all religions, even atheists, we have in common. You know, hurting children is a no-go, right? Nobody wants people to steal their stuff. Nobody wants people to uh, cheat on their spouse. And so in a, another kind of Protestant thing, we're going to be doing what we call natural law, things that are common to man, yet understandably from our case, Gio and Joey's case, we have a Protestant flavor to it. And I think it's going to be a great opportunity to address these cultural, political, social issues without appealing to scripture, the authority of scripture, similar to some of the programs we like, like the Daily Wire, Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro. What makes you excited about doing that? Just the fact that there's not a lot of it, right? So in other words, there's a lot of really interesting perspectives. I love the guys you mentioned. I think particularly on the children's front, Matt Walsh is doing some awesome work with protecting kids and advocating for that. And there's a lot of these different, like some other Christians and other people and Jews and stuff. But I feel like a uniquely Protestant perspective is sometimes missing. And that's what I think I'm most excited about is just being able to get that other perspective in there. Yeah, I agree, because like you, I'm a fan of Matt Walsh and, and Michael knows, but they come from a Catholic perspective. Ben Shapiro comes from a Jewish perspective. And you and I hope to fill in the Protestant perspective, even though we have many things in common. When we first spoke, there was a genesis to both our desires to do something like this. And it was the cutting back of the liberty of conscience or the freedoms during the COVID time. 
How how did you experience COVID? Not necessarily the virus itself, but the time and what you were seeing. What made you? What brought up some some of your concerns during that time? I think like most people, right when COVID first hit on the scene, right, what was that like February March of 2020? I didn't know what it was, right? I kind of just, for the most part, you know, believe what I saw on the news, right? There's this disease. I don't, I'm not a doctor, right? I don't know exactly what's happening. For the first couple of weeks, I was pretty careful about, you know, masking, social distancing. But I think over the course of the next, like, especially after the 15-day original, like, slow the, stop the spread or whatever. Mm-hmm. and Slow the spread. Yeah, slow the spread or whatever. And then as the uh, rather than being rescinded, a lot of these orders started getting a little bit more extreme. And then I saw certain types of political protests all of a sudden magically, you know, they didn't cause COVID, but other kinds of protests did. And I said, well, there's maybe a little disconnect. And then just some of the other things I saw, you know, um, neighbors being encouraged to turn on their neighbors. I know in our neighbor to the North Canada, I saw pastors who got arrested for keeping their church open. And I was like, yeah, that's just, that doesn't sit right with me. So that's when I started getting a little bit more like what's going on here. Yeah. Same here. You know, in March of 2020, I was involved with several churches and many of the churches here in the Houston area, I'm in Houston, Texas, um, were actually ahead of the curve in closing down because we kind of perceived what was coming and we wanted to get ahead of the curve. We were ahead of the curve in the Texas uh, area, especially here in the Houston area. But like you, about a month into this, I started seeing things that made me go, hmm, like it didn't seem right because you and I, especially myself, we're big proponents of individual freedom, of liberty of conscience. And I just saw that people were getting too authoritative. They just wanted to control too much. And I started seeing ridiculous things because, look, my wife is a doctor. We have some insight. She's plugged into what was going on. And when you saw people out in the open air in masks by themselves or people driving in cars by themselves with a mask on, it started getting a little ridiculous. And so I took a wait and see approach. And I think you similarly took that approach, correct? First out of the gate, we didn't Mm -hmm. really know much about COVID. I wore the mask, especially when I was around older people. Mm -hmm. I I thought, you know, can't hurt. It was actually, I started getting less. So I guess I started out more like, I'll I'll go along. I I started going along less and less as time progressed. Yeah. And I don't want the audience to think that, yeah, I wore my mask when I went out in public and I was like shopping at the supermarket and things like that. But when I was alone going out for a walk in the park, nah, I'm not wearing my mask. Yeah, and outdoors because, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I knew just certain basic uh, medical things, especially being informed for my wife. When did it start becoming a bigger concern for you? So the business lockdowns, I know in Michigan, um, our governor was pretty heavy on lockdowns. And I know some small business owners, particularly restaurant owners. um, And and you got everyone, you should all Google this. I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I believe I read somewhere it was around a quarter-ish of um, small businesses in the state of Michigan 
didn't end up coming back um, or suffered major financial issues. And so that kind of enforcement of businesses was kind of the first really big kind of liberty issue that I saw. Um, Particularly, we saw some hypocrisy with certain government officials here would go do things with their family and their family would get caught doing stuff that was technically um, illegal under the uh, quarantine law. And there was that. I was like, well, maybe they don't so much believe this. Um, And the other big thing for me, my grandma was in a uh, assisted living facility at the time and they shut it down. They wouldn't let family go in, even if we had PCR tests, even if um, this was before the vaccine, Mm -hmm. but like, any all precautions they wouldn't let us take them outside for like a walk so basically like the last year of my grandma's life she was you know stuck inside with only the nurses and staff for human contact man that's horrible and i know what you're talking about you know one of the more famous governors in during this quarantine the governor from uh, california several times he got caught in restaurants with no mask, in public events with no mask. And it was that attitude of it's good for you, not for me. or it's, And that hypocrisy was very alarming. Another thing for me that was that I saw a contrast was that I, I'm in the state of Texas and Texas was very laid back after a couple of months. They kind of smelled the tea leaves as well. And Texas is big on liberty of conscience. Houston is kind of different. It's a little bit more liberal. But when I was hearing of how other states were cracking down on people, especially my home state where I was born in New York City, and how things were getting very authoritarian. And yet I'm living here in Texas and I see none of the horrors that are happening supposedly in New York City. Not, I don't want to say supposedly things were happening. People were dying. I know people who died of COVID, but the different approaches between California, New York, Texas, and Florida, I knew something wasn't right. And I'm always for pro liberty of conscience. I remember, um, particularly on one of the aspects, um, on the nursing homes. And I remember in, um, yeah, that was his name, Andrew Cuomo, mm-hmm. governor of New York. He kind of got a lot of the headlines because he had a policy that was actually quarantining. So if there was older patients who weren't in nursing homes, they got COVID, they were quarantined into nursing homes, and then they wouldn't release the numbers of how many different people died in the nursing homes because they were exposed to COVID because of this policy. Well, it got a little bit less coverage, but basically the same policy but even at a wider scale was actually my governor in Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer had the same policy, but at a wider scale. And they, to this day, I don't believe they've released nursing home numbers. I know there was a, a FOIA request, freedom of information act, but I believe it, I believe it never really got answered. So, um, we, to this day, we don't know exactly how many nursing home patients died because they were exposed to the virus in these closed quarters. Yeah, and eventually that's what brought Andrew Cuomo down is uh, that policy of his, and he eventually got uh, taken out of office because of that and other sexual harassment issues. So the Prince Darling of New York City ended up being a big fraud and ended up taking down his brother as well on CNN News. 
as you started then hearing about the vaccine, what was your initial thoughts? Because the vaccine was under a Republican administration as far as being brought to light. Anything about that that gave you cause to pause? My initial my initial reaction is what it's generally been to vaccines. I think for the most part, the vaccines and vaccine technology through the years has been a marvelous thing. I think it's saved hundreds of thousands of lives. I'm talking about vaccines in general. Mm-hmm. And so my initial, I wasn't actually very vaccine skeptical at the beginning. So like, like I would have encouraged most people to go get the vaccine. Um, I never, I was always uncomfortable by vaccine mandates, like the ones in the military and the, on the private sector. I just thought like, I, kn- I know people, um, I, a lot of people in my church who for different reasons, some because of abortal, aborted fetal cells, don't want to use it and others just because they personally don't believe in vaccines. And I, um, while I disagree, I disagreed more then than I do now. Um, I always was for like, listen, this has got to be a choice. People who have conscience exceptions need to be given those. So that I was always on, um, over the last year, really, um, since 2021, I've started to change a little bit on these COVID vaccines, especially for younger people, just some of the reports that we've been seeing. Um, So my initial objection was coercion, but I think I've, I've started to see a little bit of some unanswered questions about the rushed nature of these vaccines that has become a little bit more concerning to me. Yeah, to me, I am not against vaccines. I have three daughters. They are all vaccinated. But as a thinking adult and as an individual married to a doctor, we do not follow the vaccine schedule that pediatricians use. Uh, We space them out a little bit more, and we don't take all the vaccines that they recommend just because we know our lifestyle. We know who we hang out around with. We know the needs of our children. So in that sense, I'm not against vaccines, but when it came to this vaccine and the newness of it and the new technology of it, it gave my wife and I uh, reasons to, I don't want to say, say skeptical, but to take a wait and see approach. As the initial numbers started coming in, we started seeing that, well, you know, older people may benefit from this vaccine. And those were the first group of people encouraged to take it. And to, for full disclosure, um, my father-in-law and my mother got it and they asked us about it. And we were not hesitant if they felt that they wanted to take it and they felt they needed it and they felt comfortable, we weren't going to stop them. And so they got it and praise God, no adverse effects. However, quickly we started seeing that younger people didn't really need it. And my wife and I are relatively, well, we're in good shape, especially when you uh, consider the standard American person, we're in great shape. And so we didn't need it. And we never got COVID for the first two years. We finally got it like towards the tail end of it. And I've had flus that were worse than COVID. And now, though, fast forward now, and we see all these concerns of people dying suddenly, and you can't necessarily attribute them to the vaccine. 
but there is strong correlation, or at least in my eyes and in some of the research I've seen, and more and more governments are coming saying that, hey, perhaps we need to stop uh, administrating these uh, vaccines. But the biggest thing for me, before I throw it back to you, is some of the people in our own social circles, uh, other Protestants, they were taking an approach that was demeaning those who wanted to protect their liberty of conscience. And I know you've ran into some issues with uh, with that. For the sake of privacy, let's not mention any names, but share some of the stories you ran across. So especially on the, the shame element, um, I know there was a uh, there was a massive effort and the only name I'll say, because this person was officiated with with the gov with the government, so it's not mm-hmm. nothing private. Okay. But um, I know Francis Schaefer. No, Francis. He was the head of one of the scientific uh, agencies. Can't think of his last name. First name was Francis. Mm-hmm. But um, he was one of the major pu- pushers with Dr. Fauci for the vaccine, and he happened to be an evangelical Christian. He had written some books way back when about creation and um and uh, a person who has done some tremendous work on this journalism is meg basham she's a a journalist over at the daily wire but she actually did uh, some incredible reporting on how some major protestant churches um had had secret conversation i mean i don't want to make it sound like a conspiracy but like they had Mm -hmm. conversations behind closed doors about bringing him in and having him talk to their flocks, he talked to a lot of the mega churches. He spoke to their congregations, and he urged all these like conservative Protestant Christians to get the vaccine. And he didn't talk about the myocarditis risk. Uh, he didn't talk about the doctors like uh, Marty McCary and um, some of the other ones that had a few questions about the vaccines and the speed. They just told him like, "No, you got to get vaccinated, and you're going to kill people if you don't." And this was happening in a lot of Protestant churches. I know, like I've read, I read some articles basically calling Christians who had conscious objections to the vaccine, calling them, you know, uncaring, saying they didn't care about their neighbor, and it was just like their grandma. And one thing that I really appreciated is my personal home church pastor, because my home church was split in two camps. There was one group. It was very much anti all the regulations and stuff. And another group was the other. And my pastor, his, his focus during the whole thing was how do we stay one church? And so I just think that was one thing that well, on a national level in the church, um, I think was lacking. I think it's good to highlight those good local examples of pastors who actually really navigated it in a way <clears throat> that kept the unity of the faith. So I, I, that was just one thing that um, stuck out to me. But- yeah, and for me as well, the notion that there were people who were very dogmatic about it, who were basically, as you shared with me in a conversation, they were saying anybody who didn't get the vaccine was second-class citizens. And anything that happened to them, they deserved it. And some even outside of the Protestant circles were calling for like concentration type camps and things like that. And that once the spirit, the 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 spirit of the masses 
begins to get like that, I know they're on the wrong side of history. And time has proven us right. Because you look at things like the Twitter files, uh, since Elon Musk took over Twitter, exposing all the disinformation of giving alternatives to the COVID vaccine that actually now people are talking about that work. I know there was a church near me. Um, that I, I went to this event. They hosted, um, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Peter McCullough. Yes, but I have. He's been kind of one of the major, like, he's a legitimate published medical physician. Baylor here in Texas. Yeah. And there was a church near me here in Michigan that had a freedom of conscience event. And they had people on both sides. They had they had an expert who was pro-vaccine and they had experts that were you know, against the vaccines. So it was ba- very much a freedom of conscience. Here's all the options. Here's all the facts. You're going to have to make your own decision. And I know there was some other churches in our area who actually wrote letters and tried to get this event shut down because they said this was just awful that a church was hosting this. I know I saw one person who's fairly prominent in Christian circles tweet out. He's like, it's a sad day when YouTube censors have a better idea of truth than church leaders. And I'm like, they're having both sides, right? They're having like, that's what we're supposed to do in like a, a free country, a self-governing country. We got to have all the information and we got to be free to make the decisions. You can't make a free decision on 50% of the information. And it made me laugh during this whole pandemic when they tried to use the phrase, follow the science to shut down conversation. When science in itself is basically a field of questioning, question everything and follow the evidence. And we see now, unfortunately, I am glad I never took the vaccine. And uh, I don't know, did you ever take it? So, I actually, I almost took the vaccine. And when I was weighing my options, my boss at the place I was working said that it was going to be a requirement. And my like freedom, I'm like, I don't like that pressure for making this decision. And so I quit that job. And then I never, I ended up working for another company with um, some really solid Christian ownership and they weren't going to make me. I never ended up getting it, and I don't regret it. I, I've had COVID, so I have natural immunity now, mm-hmm. and um, I don't regret my decision. Um, whereas my parents are both um, older, and they are vaccinated, and I think that was probably a good decision on their part mm-hmm. because most of the negative side effects we're seeing, like myocarditis, are in younger people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and most of the COVID death is in older people. Mm-hmm. So if the vaccines do anything to prevent death and hospitalization – to me, it seems like it makes sense for older older Americans, older people to get it, whereas I don't think it makes sense with younger people. Especially kids, five, oh. six. You know, my oldest, who at the time was seven, she got COVID. No, she was six, actually. She got COVID, and as God is my witness, she got it on a Tuesday. She tested on a Tuesday. By Thursday, she was over it. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing we knew from the beginning was that kids were not, which thank God, kids weren't mm-hmm. highly affected. Like literally since like March 2020, that's been out, and yet we still had to do the school closures mm-hmm. and we had to do the you know vaccine man. 
I don't know if anyone actually, I think California might have mandated it for young, for kids going to school. I know most states didn't end up doing the full mandate for kids because there was so much backlash. But I, I think a few states did. And I just, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. And I know now country, certain countries in Europe are stopping the vaccine because there's too much uh, coincidence of uh, sudden deaths happening during this time when the vaccines were released. And so it's dangerous. Um, it's dangerous to force somebody to do things against their will. And that leads to the Protestant notion that the, the, the purest thing is liberty of conscience. Yes, we are to look out for our neighbor. Yes, we are to do the best we can for everybody. But in the, in the end, you have to be true to your convictions and honor the conviction of others when we can't find common ground and learn to live at peace, even if it's at tension. We can't run away from fighting for the freedoms that we are afforded, not only in this country, but in scripture, and that man is to be free and accountable to God primarily. During this podcast, during this adventure that Joey and I have going, we're going to be discussing everything because liberty of conscience in this issue may play itself out different in other issues like capital punishment or abortion or gay rights. So we want to tackle all this with a loving heart, with a passion for truth, but to be able to give it that Protestant flavor. Any other thoughts, Joey, that you have during this COVID time? Go ahead. On that note, perfectly said that you, that you just said, I wanted to um, read this quote from Martin Luther when he was at the Diet of Worms. And he was called there, um, for, those, for those who don't know, because of his theological disagreements with, the, at that time, the, the Pope in Rome. And there was just certain things on salvation and certain things that he was teaching about salvation only and faith in Christ. And he was getting rebuked, and he ended up getting called to, to testify and told to recant. And this, is, this was his response. He said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and I will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And I just think Martin Luther has always been one of my mm -hmm. like historical heroes. And I just mm -hmm. think in all these issues right, that we're going to end up talking about, like that freedom element is so important because it's like when you actually speaking of daily wire guys a point andrew clavin makes in his book um the truth and beauty where he says he's like there's this paradox right between for a free society you need virtue but if you enforce it it ceases to be virtue right yes. so in other words <laughs> like and that's why like when you look at the founders of, of america i know john adams the second president said our constitution was made for moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate for any other. Now, I don't think that doesn't, I don't think that means that, you know, good hearted atheists can't live in a free society. That's not what I'm saying. But when the moral fiber, like the personal moral fiber, and it can't be forced, I mean, because then you get tyranny. So, in other words, a free society requires individuals to choose virtue. And so, I don't know, that's just something that 
really struck out at me in this whole conversation about liberty of conscience. No, that makes sense. Because, for example, let's pick on, I don't want to say pick on, but let's talk about two atheists in this example, right? Neither of them believe in God, yet they have a sense of what is right and wrong. They have a sense of what's fair, right? One atheist doesn't allow another atheist to steal from him. He knows that's wrong whether they appeal to God or to whatever, one atheist is not going to let another one steal their car or steal their cash or steal their stocks. They just know inherently that's wrong. And so everybody has to pursue a sense of morality wherever they pin it on. You and I are Protestants. We believe it comes from God, but an atheist, wherever he puts his anchor on, we all need to come collectively as a society with laws that are moral, that benefit everybody. However, as you were saying, when those are forced, when people are being forced to do that, then there's a tension that leads to tyranny or a tension that leads to revolution or a tension that doesn't make it work. And so we are here to try to find a balance that works for everybody. Because even though Joey and I are Protestant, we that doesn't mean that we want to force anybody to be Protestant. I think persuasively, Jesus is the answer to the world's problems, but he himself will not force anybody to follow him. One thing I really wanted to highlight, there's this group, I absolutely love them. I probably disagree with them on like 90% of issues, <laughs> but they're, they're a progressive this is the name of, I recommend go follow them. They're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter. But it's called, they're the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. Or they, uh, yeah, that's what they call themselves. P-A-A-U, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. These are leftist, feminist, um, like on most issues, they're socially left. And yet even they are like, they're, they're out there proving, right, that there is a law that is that is that God puts on all of our hearts that we don't have to appeal to scripture for, right? Sometimes people think, oh, all the people that oppose abortion, they're just Bible thumpers. They just mm-hmm. want to cram the religion down. And I just I love these guys. And these and most of their activists are women, actually. And they'll go through and they'll tell these stories of like women who have been abused by this. And so I'm, we don't, we're not really talking about abortion today, but I just thought it really, it illustrated that like as Protestants, right. And as Catholics and as Jews, as we're trying to figure out how to live together, where we don't, um, we live together with moral laws, but not enforcing, you know, religious views on people who don't believe. I just think it's really important to highlight our areas of commonality. And I just, I love, I follow these guys and I'm, I like like almost all of their stuff. So. Give them another shout out for the audience. Yeah. So they're, um, they're called the progressive anti-abortion uprising. Okay. And for us, if you guys want to follow us on social media, my Twitter handle is G I O M A R I N G O Marin at Twitter and Joey, let them know your Twitter handle. Yeah, my t- Twitter handle is at Adventist Cowboy, uh, A-D-V-E-N-T-I-S-T-C-O-W-B-O-Y. Cowboy, mercy. I hope you don't like the Cowboy football teams because I'm a New York Giants fan. No, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a sad, sad Lions fan. 
Oh, mercy. This, mercy. This, this year actually wasn't that bad, but generally. I'm glad you guys knocked out the Packers there in the last week of the season. That was fun. Me too. <laughs> Any closing thoughts as we close this first episode? I'm just excited for this journey, you know, for especially as those that come and follow us. Um, I'm excited to get to know you guys as well. So, Yeah, same here, uh, Gio and Joey. We might change the name in the future. We just may leave it. We just wanted to press record and get started. And we are going to have YouTube channel as well. So stay tuned to that. We'll post that perhaps in the second episode or third episode. You can follow us on Twitter. Eventually we'll be on Instagram as well. And we just want this to be a conversation. If we find some of you intriguing, we may have you on the show as well. And we are open to any kind of view. As long as we can discuss them cordially, we're not just going to have people that agree with us on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. What we're after is truth, truth that binds us all together because we all have truth. As long as we agree and we can do it cordially, or even if we disagree, we need to live in a society together. Joey, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our budding friendship as well. And let's do it again soon. Absolutely.